Oh, it's you. How are you doing? What's that? Number 17, Cherry Tree Lane. No, I'm sorry, I, I don't know it. While you're here though, why don't you take a seat, make yourself comfortable, and let me preach to you on Nehemiah 10. How about that? Morning everybody, Andy Kind here, Alan is here as well. He was wearing the bowler hat, but um, he said it covered his best side. So um, it's great to be with you. We're going to get straight into it because there's lots to say. I'm doing the whole chapter Nehemiah 10. I do hope you're well. Um, thanks for all your prayers. Alpha's going really well. People are meeting Jesus and hopefully today we're talking about, well not hopefully today, definitely today we're talking about promises. What does it mean to promise your life to God? What does it mean to separate yourself for him, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? So hopefully you will be encouraged by this and hopefully challenged as well because we are in a very weird scenario still. It's not going to get any less weird and people are confused. They need to hear the gospel. So let's start with uh, this. If you've got Nehemiah 10, that'd be really good to have in front of you. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to go through bits of it. But it starts off by saying, in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So the wall is built. The covenant with Moses has been restored. They've celebrated as a nation because you've got to feast as well as fast. They've celebrated and they've reflected, obviously, all the way through Nehemiah 9. We were looking, they were reflecting on the mistakes that they'd made, the sin that they'd committed, both individually and collectively. So here, what they're saying is, we are now re-entering into that original covenant and we are committing ourselves to it. So they're signing and sealing it in the same way that when you uh, buy a house, for those of you who are able to do that, you are making a commitment for the future that every month you will pay, you know, however many hundreds of pounds. But you are sealing your uh, name on that and you're committing to that. So that's all that's going on. They are making this covenant and they are making a commitment for the future. And what they're doing, what they've done by looking back on all of their mistakes and their rebellion and their sin is they're saying, look, we are owning our mistakes, but we're not going to be owned by them. So we are owning our mistakes, acknowledging them so that we can then get rid of them, so that we can then leave them in the past. As Jesus says, you cannot plough a straight furrow by looking back. If you want to walk in a straight line, you have to look straight forward, forgetting what is past, as Paul says, and straining towards what is to come. So they're making this covenant. And of course, we have the cross. If we want to leave our past behind us. We come to the cross and we nail stuff there. This is pre-cross. And so they're making this signed covenant, this signed agreement with God. They're essentially saying, my word is my bond. Our word is our bond. But our spoken word wasn't good enough because we promised something and then we did the opposite. So we are having something engraved. We are engraving it, if you like. We are sealing it as a monument for people to, to see. And what's great is that Nehemiah goes first. So he started this whole shebang. He was responsible for the rebuilding of the wall. So he's going first. He's leading from the front. He's essentially saying, it's right for me to make this commitment with or without the other people. So whatever anyone else does, I'm doing this. 
There's an episode of Sharp in the 90s where they have to storm the fort of Badahoff or something like that. He says, I don't care about any of you, but that's where I'm going. He was prepared to storm the fort uh, full of French soldiers all on his own because that's what he'd said he would do. And that's what he'd been commanded and commissioned to do. Um, so Nehemiah goes first. And of course, at the end of the book of John, Jesus says, it doesn't matter if I want this person to live forever. As for you, follow me. So Jesus would say to you, whatever anyone else does, whether people are lukewarm or on fire for the gospel, whether people fall away, as for you, follow me. Just follow me. Faith is stepping into the unknown. So going first, pioneering anything is difficult because it's stepping into the unknown. But the great thing about Christian faith, and you could say, of course, that the future is every time we move one second into the future, we're stepping into the unknown. The great thing about Christian faith is that it is a step into the unknown, but it's alongside the knowable who knows all. So, yes, Nehemiah is having to go first. And as Christians, we're having to make steps of faith into the unknown, but with the knowable. God is knowable, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God is knowable and he knows all. So you're stepping into the unknown, but you're not in yourself unknown. You are known to God and you know him and he knows everything. So actually stepping out in faith doesn't need to be as scary as we sometimes allow it to be. And later on in this chapter, they talk about how they're going to give their first fruits to God. They're going to give the first of everything they get to God. And that's, that's the difficult thing. We talk about tithing, and that's come to mean giving 10% away as part of your Christian faith. But, but really, tithing is just about first fruits. And what that means is giving the best that you have, the best portion that you have, and the first portion that you get to God. And that's where it's difficult to be a Christian, because the problem with giving away first fruits to God is you don't know what the second fruits will be. You don't know what the second fruits will be. It's about giving your first and your best to God. And it, it's, an, it's an acid test, really. Tithing is an acid test. God wants to know, do you trust me? Do you trust that if you give me your first and best, I won't leave you without? Do you trust me that if you give me your first and your best, the best that you have, the best that you are, I will use that. Do you trust that I will use that for my glory? And I will also make sure that you don't go without. It's an upside down kingdom. God's economy is frightening, but it works. So really, Nehemiah is, is being the first fruit. In the same way that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection and models for us what heaven will be like, what the resurrected life looks like. Here they offer to give their first fruits and that's difficult for us, particularly in this time of pandemic, because when we're giving stuff away, we don't know what's what's coming in. 
And just to say, you know, I don't expect to be doing any live comedy or, or preaching, but it's comedy that pays my bills mainly until at least 2021. And so it's a challenge for me to still be generous, to still uh, bless other people financially, because I don't know what's coming in. In fact, I know that not very much is coming in. But, but you know what? And this is just it's a side note. I have pretty much exactly the same amount of money and finance as I did the day all my gigs were cancelled. And it's just a, just a little anecdotal sign that God, God blesses us. And if we give to him, if we continue to be faithful to him, he will be faithful because as it says in Romans, let every person alive be a liar and God be true. God will do what he promises. And he might not promise you the things that you want him to, but he promises to never leave you and forsake you. He promises you eternal life. He promises to build his church. He promises you entry into the kingdom. He promises that the gates of hell will not prevail. He will keep his promises, but he wants to know, can you keep your promise to him? Can you give him your best, your first and your best? Do you trust me? He wants to know with this first fruits idea, whose approval are you trying to win? Who is it that you're dressing yourself up for? Who is it that gets the best of you? Who is it that gets your energy? Where'd you go in your leisure time? Whose approval are you trying to win? Verse 28, it says, um, The rest of the people and all who separated themselves from the neighbouring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their families, all these now join their fellow Israelites and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God. They bind themselves with a curse and an oath. Just a quick point on that, because it, it seems a little bit, it seems like the sort of thing you'd hear in a 17th century tavern, doesn't it? It's, ah, oh, bind it with a curse and an oath. Pickens, bring me more ale, I shall drink till morn. Curse and an oath basically goes back to when the Israelites left Babylon after their captivity, and they acknowledged that the reason they were in Babylon was because they'd broken God's law. So they'd allowed themselves to be handed over. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, God handed them over uh, to their enemies who then abused them. So they were acknowledging as they left Babylon that they didn't want to go back there because they it was justifiable that they were there. And uh, in the law of Moses, which we find in Deuteronomy, the law contained blessings for following the law and curses for not following the law, for disobeying the law. So if they followed the law, they would expect blessings. If they didn't, they were expecting curses, the opposite of blessings, not witches with, you know, wands or anything like that. So basically what they're saying is they're binding themselves with a curse and an oath. They will live by this word and they will die by it if necessary. They really mean what they're saying now. They really mean it. They're swearing on their mother's life is the crass modern day equivalent. But you see, it's one thing to feel convicted by something. It's totally different. It's a totally different thing to let that conviction drive you to action. So some people will say after, a, um, after they've heard some preaching, not this preach specifically, but when they've heard preaching, thank you for that. That was, that was, a, that was food for thought. 
Preaching isn't really supposed to give you food for thought, but food for action. Because the problem with any kind of food, when you take it in, if you don't then continue to be active, it, you'll put on weight. If you take in food and you're not active with it, you will get fat. And it's the same with, you know, you take food for your body. Your body has to do something with that food. You take in food for thought. Your mind has to do something with it. It has to push you forward into action. So really what's going on, they're acknowledging that feeling convicted isn't enough. They've actually got to now act on that conviction. And it's, 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 the, same, it's the same with us. We live in a society where we believe, as a society, that our feelings are enough. We believe that our feelings are enough and we justify ourselves by how we feel. So we see, we watch the news and we see injustice and we feel, we feel mad or we feel bad. We see a homeless person and we feel sad. Um, we argue with somebody and we feel as though we, we shouldn't have done that or we feel as though we should have done that because we we're angry. But we justify ourselves by our feelings. We let ourselves off any kind of decisive action, provided that we think we feel the right way. I'm not sure if that's coming across clearly. We want to know that we're good people, really, and we justify ourselves by whether we feel the right way about something. The problem is that feeling the right way doesn't actually lead to action. You know, there is no, there is no uh, court case, no job interview, no relationship that works because you feel a certain way. It's not how you feel, it's what you do and how you act that counts. So, you know, seeing a, a homeless man and feeling convicted that isn't that sad and then just going on about your day and actually letting yourself off doing anything because, oh, at least I felt sad, so I must be a good person. It's not, it's not good enough. It's not the call on our life. Feelings are a good gauge of how we feel, but they're there to, they're there to propel us into action. So nothing is ever settled by how we feel and we can't just let ourselves off any action because we believe that we're feeling as we should feel. You know, so what's what's the difference between somebody who breaks the speed limit because they don't respect police and somebody who breaks the speed limit but feels guilty because you shouldn't really break the speed limit? What's the difference between that? Those two people? Nothing. What's the difference between somebody who doesn't share God's love, who doesn't share the gospel with people because they don't believe in God, and someone who doesn't share the gospel with the people around them because they just don't, they don't want to have awkward conversations. What's the difference between those two people? Nothing. The difference is nothing. I want you to reflect on that while I um, just tuck into a few gherkins. What's the difference between your non-Christian mates who don't share the gospel because they don't believe it and you who just doesn't want to have awkward conversations?
There's no difference. Oh, those are some good gherkins. Mm, a little bit bitter. I, um, I'm working with this um, health guru. Um, haven't seen him for a while since I gave him lots of, lots of money. But basically, he said that you know gherkins really that's um, burns fat and uh, and builds muscle and um, wins friends as well apparently. So get yourself some uh, crinkle cut gherkins. Which areas of your life are sealed for God? So remember, they affixed their names to it and they sealed it. They sealed it. For God's eyes only. Which areas of your life are sealed for God? And which areas of your life are sealed off from God? Which areas of your life are sealed off against him? Because do you know what? Sealing your life for God, binding yourself with a curse and an oath for God is good news because he reciprocates. You see here, they are making a promise. The promises that they're making are sealed. And then in Ephesians 1.13, it says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So they are making promises and sealing them. And then in the New Testament, remember, Nehemiah is the, historically the last thing that happens in the Old Testament where they are sealing their promises. And then in the New Testament, it says, God is sealing you with his promise. It's good news because it's a reciprocation. God doesn't demand things of you without going first. Remember, Jesus is the first fruits for you. You can give him your first fruits because God has given you his first fruits in Jesus. It's a really good deal, guys. Um, God offers you, again, in Ephesians 3, 8, it says, we've been given the boundless riches of Christ. We have the boundless riches of Christ available to us. Because you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the treasures of Christ are not sealed off against you. God doesn't put boundaries around his spiritual riches. You've been blessed with every spiritual gift from on high. So because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the treasures of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ, are not sealed off. So, so why are we asking God to respect our boundaries? Why are we sealing parts of our life off for God? If the riches of Christ are open season for us why have we put up some no entry signs to god over our finances over our desires for relationship over who we sleep with who we don't sleep with um over who our friends are over who we're prepared to help over over who we invite to dinner it's worth thinking where the no entry signs are in your life I've been reading in my, because uh, as you know, I like to live the thug life. That's not true, but you can't spell thug without T and hug. And I definitely live the T and hugs life. But I've been reading uh, Pygmalion this week, which is the play that My Fair Lady is based on. You know, Eliza Doodlittle and, you know, the, the flower seller becomes a, a, a debutante lady. And um, there's a quote in there where Eliza Doolittle says about her old life. She says, I can't go back to it. I can't go back to it. I am a child in your country. 
I have forgotten my own language and can speak nothing but yours. That's how it should be with us. Our old lives before we met Jesus, we, we, shouldn't, remember, we shouldn't know the language of that anymore. We shouldn't know how to speak that fluently. It shouldn't be like falling off a log going back to it or getting back on a bike. We should be able to speak nothing but God's language, the language of love, the language of blessing, the language of grace, the language of hope, the language of joy. That's how it should be. Because it says they separated themselves. It says they separated themselves. What does that mean? What does it mean for you to come out and be separate? What does that mean? It means you separate yourself from your past life, your past life of self-determinacy where you were living for you. You separate yourself from the sin that so easily entangles, the things that keep you from God, the habits that you know you need to break. You separate yourself from that. You separate yourself from shame and guilt. When you come to the cross, remember I said that we had the cross, we can go to, you come to the cross, the stuff that you've done wrong, the stuff that you feel ashamed for, you nail it there, you leave it there and you trust that it's dealt with. People say, Christians say, well, I, I don't feel forgiven. It doesn't matter whether you feel forgiven. God hasn't asked you how you feel. He's asked you to believe what he's told you because he feels good about forgiving you. So it doesn't matter how you feel. It honestly doesn't matter how you feel about grace. It's there. It's free. It's undeserved favour. Deal with it. So you separate yourself from your guilt and your shame. You really are free. And then we also separate ourselves from culture. Now, this is the difficult thing. What does it mean to separate ourselves from the culture? Because we're all part of our culture, we're all influenced by it. There's a reason why um, outside of stag do's, none of us go around dressed in Roman togas. We're all part of our culture, a product of our culture. But, so how do we separate from that? Some kind of extreme Christian views would have said, oh, you, you can't associate with anyone in society, like the Amish, for instance. They don't associate with society. But that's not what it's, it, it's saying. That's not the message of, of, of Scripture. It, it just means, it doesn't mean that you separate yourself from people, but it means that you separate yourself from worldview and lifestyle. You leave that culture and become part of God's kingdom culture. So it doesn't mean coming out and be separate doesn't mean having no contact with people. But there's a difference, isn't there, between having a passionate kiss and giving CPR. I now realise and I'm very sorry about that. But there's a difference between giving CPR, the kiss of life, and giving somebody a passionate kiss. When you're giving CPR, you're there to breathe life. You're not there to fit in or to self-satisfy. These people, the, the, the Israelites, they realised that they'd let culture invade them. Rather than building kingdom culture, they'd let the outside culture invade them and take over them and corrupt them. They realised what you need to realise, what we all need to realise, which is that culture is not neutral. Your culture is not neutral. Our culture is enslaved. Our culture is enslaved by a mass of contradictory ideologies. You know, live for you as long as it hurts nobody. Well, that contradicts. Because at some point, you can't live for you because there are other people who require stuff from you. You know, create your own meaning while at the same time feeling corporately guilty for racism. 
if you're creating your own meaning, you don't have to feel guilty for somebody else's sin or wrongdoing. Those two things don't go together. My body, my choice, my mental health, not my choice. They're contradictory. Any of these things might be true, but they don't work together. And our society is a total mess. People are so confused because they don't know what they're supposed to believe. Because what you're supposed to believe to be on the right side of history changes every day as the right side of history picks up speed. People are confused. And they're worried. And they're trying to show themselves, trying to show other people that they're living a good life. They're trying to do the right thing. But they're confused because they don't have a ballast. And as a society, we don't have a ballast. We're all just like hot air balloons in a storm. Which is where you come in. Because you do have a ballast. You do understand that life is hard, but he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. You do understand why certain things are wrong and certain things are good to do. You do have a hope and a future, and a certainty, and a purpose. You do have a real love, and you know it's not just chemical reactions. So, you need to speak up. Coming out and be separate, coming out and being separate, actually means speaking up for the oppressed, but there's no greater injustice in the world than the fact that millions of people don't know God as their father. That is the single greatest injustice in the world, that millions of people and lots of people you know don't know God as their father. So speaking up for the oppressed actually means telling people the truth in love, telling people that there's a better story out there for them. You have the greatest story ever told written on your heart, not on a tablet of stone, not in a written contract, but on a tablet of flesh. The greatest story ever told is written on your heart. So show some boldness. Show some boldness. Tell people. And boldness is not aggression. Boldness is just fearlessness. Be fearless. Make a choice. Are you the thermostat that sets the temperature around you? Or are you gonna be the thermometer that just absorbs the temperature? Are you gonna be a culture setter? Or are you just gonna be a consumer of the culture? Bearing in mind it's not neutral and it's not kingdom culture. 29, verse 29 again, they obey all the commands, regulations and decrees. They had a lot of different terms for what it meant to follow God. But what they're saying here when they say we're going to obey all the commands, regulations and decrees, they're saying whatever it is to follow Jesus or to follow God, we're doing that. We're all in. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, we're doing it. And it's the same for you. You need to be all in. We need to be all in. You wouldn't give a child a glass that was a glass of water that was 50% water and 50% petrol. You wouldn't give someone a drink that was 50% water, 50% petrol, or 50% juice and 50% hot tar. You wouldn't do it. So don't give God half of you. Give him everything. Don't be like the double-minded man in James, the double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. You can't serve two masters. You can't. You just can't. And, and you find, you know yourself that you're not, you're, you're not serving two masters. 
when you become a Christian, when you f- make that decision to follow Jesus, however you feel about it, God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And what also happens is that there is now a target on your back. There's a target on your back. And it's not God taking shots at you. Because however you feel, you've made a promise to God and God's made a promise to you. And you have a spiritual enemy who hates people who make promises to God and wants people to break those promises and, and hates the idea that God would promise us to seal us with his Holy Spirit. It's, it's absolutely uh, appalling behaviour, the enemy would say. The idea that God would deem to love creatures like us. You have a spiritual enemy who hates God and who hates you. And so you need to give all yourself to God because actually that's the only place. The, sa- the only safe space in the universe is Jesus. If you're in a war zone and 10% of your body is above the parapet, let's say your head, well, you're not safe. The fact that 90% of your body is, is covered and, and protected, it won't stop you dying if you get shot in the head. Don't tithe don't tithe to the world stop tithing to the world stop giving your first fruits to the world to your addictions to your anger to your anxiety to your mental health you need to get we need to get these things in the right order we need to reframe these things 100% to god god wants 100% of your heart, of your devotion, because that will be the best thing for you. It will be the best thing for you. It will work out. Stop tithing to culture. To to finish then, um, for the rest of chapter 10, they basically make promises. Again, they, they make these promises. We promise, we promise. What do they promise? They promise to keep God's law, to follow his word. They promise to keep the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is not the last day of the week, it's the first day of the week. So again, they're giving the, the first part of their time to God. It's always about the first fruits, the first and the best. So to keep God's law, to keep the Sabbath, where they can rest and just be with God. To be generous with the money, again, to give the best of what they've got. And then not to intermarry with the pagan religions now that that's not about race that's not about the color of people's skin that's it's a it's not an individual thing either it's a corporate thing a collective thing what what it means is that they're not going to allow other cultures to bleed in and corrupt the kingdom culture so that's what it means by not intermarrying it means not taking bits of advice bits of wisdom from here and trying to bolt them on to kingdom culture because it, it doesn't work and you end up with something that's just not just not pure kingdom culture to to set the culture to keep the culture you've got to set the culture so that's what they're doing they're making these promises because they want to keep the kingdom culture so they need to set it they need to say this is what it means for us to do this and it's sealed and so the question is, this is the final question, just to, just to leave us on. Who are you promising yourself to? Who have you promised yourself to? Where are your first fruits going? You know that covenant that you made with Jesus when he sealed you with his Holy Spirit? What are you doing with it? Have you tried to steam that open and change the wording? 
Have you tried to amend the covenant in your heart that you made with God? Of course, there's, there's, no, there's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation, but there's simply a, a, a chance to look at where we are putting our efforts, where we are being faithful, because you are being faithful to something. You are sacrificing your life to something. You are worshipping something. You are serving something or someone. And it's just a great chance today to think about those areas of our life which we haven't given to God. Think about where our our best efforts and our brightest energy is going and just say, you know what, this isn't the covenant I made with God and I'm going to reseal it. I'm going to make that, I'm going to restore that original covenant. I'm going to readdress myself to the right place, to the right destination, the right recipient. At the end of chapter 10, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. That's a bold promise because they know that's what they've spent the last hundred years, hundreds of years doing. But it's always about today. And they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. So for you, just today, wherever you've been, come to the cross again and say, I will not neglect my Lord, I will not neglect the word and the words of my God. Have a good day.